This is a Rooster Teeth production. May 26, 1991. Lauda Air Flight 004, a Boeing 767 with 223 people on board, is flying over mountainous jungle terrain northwest of Bangkok in Thailand. The flight has just taken off from Bangkok and is bound for Vienna, Austria, when the crew notices some unusual alerts from the aircraft. But after consulting their checklists, they determine that the flight can continue without issue. Six minutes later, the plane is out of control and falling to the jungle below. Eyewitnesses report hearing an explosion and seeing the plane in flames before it impacted the ground. What errors did the pilots notice? Was this an act of terrorism? Was it possible to recover this flight? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. We're here uh, with another episode. Um, very excited to talk about this one. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about all of them. This one uh, in particular is very interesting, I think. Before we get to it, of course, I do want to remind you to give us a follow on social media at Black Box Down Pod, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there. We're posting images and stuff <laughs> that maybe uh, you have not. trouble imaging. Yeah. Where are you? You should really check it out, especially if you're not there, like Chris said. <laughs> also, I wanted to thank everyone who supports us uh, through uh, premium memberships or our first class experience where you get ad-free and early episodes and some bonus content. Uh, at uh, And you can find out more info on that at blackboxdownpod.com. Yeah, just $2.99 a month. Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, so thank you thank you so much. Uh, we really do appreciate it. We're watching. <laughs> that, sound, that sounds ominous. Okay, so Lauda Air, Flight 004. Like I said, a Boeing 767-300ER made for Lauda Air was delivered on October 16, 1989. I'm sure you've probably, I, I assume you've never heard of Lauda Air. They don't fly anymore today, uh, nowadays. No, no. L-A-U-D-A. This is uh, an interesting airline, Chris. It was based out of Austria, and it was started by a former Formula One racing champion. Uh, you know, Formula One's like the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. racing, uh, like super high-speed, high-performance well, cars. It's, it's a big deal here in Austin. Yeah, there's a track here in Austin. There was a Formula One race not that long ago. So there was a uh, F1 racer, very prolific in the 70s, named Nicky Lauda. And he's the one who started this airline. That name sounds familiar, more so than Lauda Airlines. Did you ever watch the movie Rush? It came out in 2013. It was about uh, race car drivers. Uh, Nicky Lauda was one of the main characters mm. in the movie Rush, uh, if you ever watched that. I don't know if I did. Very well known. Um, you may have heard the name in passing at one point, but he founded the airline in 1979. Eventually, it ceased operations in 2013. When Nicky Lauda first retired from uh, F1 racing, he decided to go start an airline and run his airline. He claimed he had no more desire to continue the silliness of driving around in circles. Yeah, but flying is, it's flying around in circles. Well, not necessarily. You're, you know, you see a lot of the world, you get, you know, high above the ground and can see things. And in fact, he became a pilot. He was one of the pilots for Lauda Air, Chris. I mean, I I, I imagine he must be if he started an airline. Yeah, he, he decided uh, he wanted to become a pilot uh, <laughs> and started feel- flying comfortable if you're like and world-renowned race car driver <laughs> lauda is in the cockpit and he'll be <laughs> i've read a lot of accounts for people who were like you know they, they think it's really cool when you know they get out they would they flew on lauda air and you know the voice that comes over to greet you on the plane was him like he was like oh wow he's actually in the cockpit <laughs> flying uh you know eventually he did retire from flying and uh he recorded like the welcome messages that they would play for people so that uh on all louder air flights that's cool 
This 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 airline it's got some personality. Real personality. Um Nikki Lauda, like I said, amazing race car driver, uh super prolific career. He actually suffered life-threatening injuries in a crash in an F1 crash in 1976 Ooh. uh that left him with severely scarred with uh third-degree burns uh, over a lot of his head and his body. Um his Ferrari swerved off the track, hit an embankment and burst into flames and he was trapped in the wreckage. Uh, and on top of the severe burns to his head and hands, he inhaled toxic gases that damaged his lungs. And, you know, it was, it was a whole thing, but they weren't sure if he was going to live after that crash. It was really, really bad. However, that being said, he only missed two races. What? Yeah. He sat out for 42 days and uh, then immediately began racing again. He almost won that season. He, he lost that season by one point, despite the fact he sat out for two races. Um, absolutely amazing and the reason i'm talking so much about nikki lauda obviously it's lauda airlines he personally involved himself in this investigation he wanted to get to the bottom of this and you you know he 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 said you know it was his name on the airliner he was a pilot and flew these planes like he really he was really involved and very hands-on in the business and wanted to like make make it right well yeah he wanted to find out what happened was it the airline's Mm -hmm. fault was there something wrong with the plane you know what caused this tragedy Lauda's on the case. Yeah, I think all of this is is is, is super super interesting and makes for uh, a fantastic story. You know, regardless, like separated from the the actual tragedy of the incident uh, mm-hmm. or the accident, I think it's you know even Nikki Lauda's story itself is super fascinating, and uh, the fact that he was so involved is uh, is really interesting to me. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> just trying just trying to give a little bit of back a little further background to. Uh, you know, the, the accident we're going to be talking about today. No, no, I've invested in this airline already, more so yeah. than I am in like any of the other airlines. <laughs> so like I said, Lauda Air 004, regularly scheduled passenger flight from Hong Kong to Vienna, Austria with a stop along the way in Bangkok, Thailand. This happens all the time. Flight went from Hong Kong to Bangkok. And it was supposed to keep going to Vienna and it was between Bangkok and Vienna that it went down. The flight departed Bangkok at 16.02 universal time which is 11.02 p.m. local time in Thailand on May 26, 1991. So this was a late night flight. It was going to be a red eye. Mm. Uh, It was under the command of American Captain Thomas J. Welch, who was 48 years old, and Austrian First Officer Joseph Thumer, who was 41 years old. And uh, Lauda Air, it was never a big airline. I don't think they even operated in the United States, which is probably why you never heard of them and never flew on them. Mm -hmm. Um, But they operated three weekly flights between Bangkok and Vienna. The weather was reportedly fair. There were no discrepancies noted in any aid to navigation, no troubled radio transmissions. The takeoff report from Bangkok was successfully transmitted and recorded. All pre-flight, ground, flight operations appear routine. And, you know, that's always like the scary thing, right? It's like everything seems fine until all of a sudden it's not. Yeah, there's no, oh, that could, they should have seen that warning. You know. Right. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary up to this point. At the suspected point of the event, the onboard computer readout indicated the airplane was at an approximate altitude of 24,700 feet, a speed of Mach 0.78 and developing climb power. So all that is to say that this was pretty quick after takeoff. They were at 24,700 feet and still climbing. They were not at their cruising altitude yet. So this was not immediately after takeoff, but several minutes after takeoff while still trying to get up to their cruising altitude. And like I said, eyewitnesses reported seeing plane in flames and hearing a loud bang and watching the plane fall to the ground covered in flames and impact the ground and and everyone on board uh was killed uh, in this crash seeing flames and then a loud bang 
and then hitting the ground? I don't think they specified the order in which things happened. However, that being said, it would not be unusual since the speed Mm -hmm. of light is so much faster than the speed of sound. Mm. That's why you see lightning before you hear thunder. So even if they did see the flames first and then hear the bang, I wouldn't necessarily consider that out of the ordinary, depending on how far away they are. So, of course, Thailand's Aircraft Accident Investigation Committee let the the investigation and, uh, you know, we're going to be referring to their report here. And what they said was... At 5 minutes and 45 seconds after takeoff, you know, what was a normal flight, the pilot in command stated, that keeps coming on. Mm. The crew was heard discussing an indicator that kept coming on and off. Specifically, uh, it was R-E-V-I-S-L-N. It was uh, just flashing, letting them know. And what that stands for is the reverser isolation, thrust reverser isolation. Oh. This indication appears when a fault has been detected in the thrust reverser system. Uh, The first officer read information uh, from the airplane quick reference handbook as follows. Additional system failures may cause in-flight deployment. Expect normal reverser operation after landing. Mm. The pilot in command remarked, it's not just on, it's coming on and off. He said, it's an advisory thing. And shortly thereafter stated, could be some moisture in there or something. And this is the thrust reverser. I mean, that's for landing where they, it reverses, like shoots thrust the opposite direction right slow down right it basically redirects the thrust so that it's not pushing out the back of the plane but instead is redirected in another direction to help you know slow the plane down to come to a stop and the mechanism of it it's just like a thing that like lowers to like cup the air there's a couple of different ways that thrust reversers can work it used to be that they were almost like clamshells where they would deploy around the back of the engine and just so the engine was still putting thrust out the back and the clamshell would close around that and then kind of redirect it to the front. Kind of like if you put your hand over like a blow dryer or an air compressor or something and you're redirecting that force. Yeah. The one on the 767 and the way it works in most planes nowadays is it's almost like a sleeve over the engine that opens up uh, and the thrust kind of uh, redirects out the front part of the, well, kind of around the circumference of the front part of the engine. Okay. So there's different mechanisms. The one in the 767 was not that clamshell style, but more like a sleeve that redirects around the circumference of the front of the engine. Okay. And specifically, this alert, uh, reverser isolation, the indication that kept coming on and off, in order for these thrust reversers to activate, there's, you know, there's safety mechanisms to keep it from activating by default. And one of those is... Uh, this reverser isolation, it's like a valve that closes off the hydraulic fluid from the thrust reverser so that no hydraulic fluid gets into it so that it can't deploy. Okay. And in fact, I believe on the hydraulic system for the 767, there's two different valves. There's the reverser isolation, which stops uh, hydraulic fluid from getting into the system. And then downstream from that, there's another valve, which I want to say is called like the directional control valve, uh, which also needs to activate in order to allow the hydraulic fluid to get into the system. So first you have the reverse isolation, which stops hydraulic fluid from coming in at all. Then that's opened. Then the next, it, it, it gets prepared to go into the system. Then once the reverses are activated, the directional control one opens up and the hydraulic fluid goes in and the um, reversers activate. So there's two valves. This alert that they're getting is about that the first valve. Okay. That kind of like seals off the hydraulic fluid from getting into the system. Oh, I'm just throwing out ideas. Is there like hydraulic fluid leaking or something? So what I would 
speculate at this mm-hmm. point when they're seeing this. It's not necessarily that it's a leak. It's not telling them that there's a, a lack of fluid. It's telling them that the reverser isolation is coming on and off. That would make me think that the reverser isolation valve is failing. Mm. Uh, so that hydraulic fluid could be passing by it and getting up to the uh, directional control valve. Okay. That's what, I, that's what my takeaway from that would be. Because if it was a leak, there would be a separate warning about hydraulic pressure okay. being inadequate. Like I said, this is about just under six minutes after takeoff uh, that you know, this comes up and they have this discussion. Then 10 minutes and 27 seconds into the flight, uh, Thumer advised Captain Welsh there was need for a little bit of rudder trim to the left. And, you know, trim is just helps them kind of keep the plane stabilized without having to give constant mm-hmm. inputs. A little bit of rudder trim, eh, not a big deal. Fairly common. 15 minutes into the cockpit uh, voice recorder flight recordings, the first officer was heard saying, ah, reversers deployed, oh. followed by sounds similar to airframe shuddering. Oh, 29 seconds later, the recording ended with multiple sounds thought to be structural breakup. Welsh's last recorded words were, Jesus Christ, in response to the rapid rolling sensation, followed by, here, wait a minute, as he shut down the engine, and then, damn it. Oh, no. Flight 4 disappeared from air traffic radar at uh, 1617 Universal Time, about 94 nautical miles northwest of Bangkok. The airplane was destroyed by in-flight breakup and crashed in the mountainous jungle terrain, uh, about six kilometers, which is four miles, roughly, north-northeast of Phu Toi Huai Kamin village of Tambul Huai Kamin in the Bandang Chang district of Supanburi province of Thailand. And everyone on board was killed. So the, the reverse thruster deployed... Thrust reverser. Thrust reverser deployed eventually on one of the sides? Correct. And so that would create like a spin... Yeah, uh, so you would continue to have normal thrust on one side and then reverse thrust on the other side. Yeah, which would be, which would cause you to not necessarily spin, but like yaw and bank at the same time. So you'd Mm. be like rotating across two axes into the direction of the reversed engine. And uh, what, uh, so then this, like you said, you know, it creates this asymmetric thrust really to an extreme. And mm-hmm. this caused the plane to enter an aerodynamic stall and the plane went into a diving left turn. Like I said, you know, then there's a bank mm. and a yaw to yeah. that direction. A midair thrust reverser deployment on engine number one caused the routine flight to break up in midair during an uncontrolled dive that killed everyone on board, resulting in the deadliest accident involving a <laughs> Boeing 767. Oh, man. I believe this was the first hull loss, actually, for a 767. The flight data recorder tape was heat-damaged, melted, and unreadable due to the post-crash fire. Engineering simulations would be necessary to determine the details of the accident. And on behalf of the Accident Investigation Commission of Thailand, the U.S. NTSB requested uh, the Boeing Commercial Airplane Group to develop an engineering simulation of in-flight reverse thrust for the conditions thought to have existed when the left engine thrust reverser deployed in the accident flight. Uh, And of course, these tests show that, or they suggest, I should say, Mm -hmm. that the airplane experienced a nose down pitch accompanied by abnormal roll and yaw. So the question is, one, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. And two, was this recoverable? Yeah. Like those are the things that the investigation is going to want to find out. So, you know, they're going to look into this specific airplane, but also the 767 in general. Mm-hmm. So this specific plane, like I said, was a Boeing 767, uh, was manufactured to the specifications of Lauda Airline and had two Pratt & Whitney uh, 4060 engines. 
Engine records indicate the left engine was installed on October 3, 1990, and the right engine was installed on September 15, 1989. The airplane log, dated May 26, 1991, shows the airframe with 7,444 hours and 1,135 cycles of operation. So nothing was terribly old on this plane uh-huh. or like super used or anything. Oh, not super used, uh, super worn out, I should say. I don't know. Like nothing yeah, yeah. should have failed. Nothing, no warning signs. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one of those planes we talk about where it's like, yeah, this plane was 50 years old. And, <laughs> and they were, yeah, they didn't do maintenance. So, right. These engines, like I said earlier, have those reverser systems that employ uh, blocker doors and cascades to redirect airflow from the N1 compressor fan blades. On large twin-engine transport airplanes, the thrust reverser cascades are slightly below and in front of the wing. And that's just to say, remember how I talked about that sleeve that opens Mm -hmm. up and redirects it? So the thrust gets reversed. That's what they're talking about. That thrust reversed air or pressure is slightly below and in front of the wing. If you think about like how the wings are mounted Mm -hmm. under a plane, if you look at them, that's where the engine is. At high thrust levels, the plume of thrust from the reverser produces a yawing moment and significantly disrupts airflow over the wing, resulting in a loss of lift over the affected wing. The loss of lift produces a rolling moment, which must be promptly offset by coordinated flight inputs to maintain level flight. Uh, The yaw is corrected by rudder inputs. If corrective action is delayed, the roll rate and bank angle increase, making recovery more difficult. Okay, so then I'm going to explain all that right now. Uh This is important because they have to figure out why did this become unrecoverable so quick? In certifying the airplane, mm-hmm. Boeing maintains, or they, they maintain that thrust reverser deploying in flight is recoverable. Uh, and they demonstrated that before the plane was approved to be airworthy. Uh, and of course, the way they demonstrate that is by taking a test flight and deploying a thrust reverser on a test flight. Just one? Uh, right. And that's what happened in this flight. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's like, did they... Yeah. Okay. Uh, re- yeah, deploying two. I mean, that's <laughs> they probably would not uh, would would not certify that. But you know, they have to test one. Um, and in their test flight, they're able to recover it. So uh-huh. then, you know, now the questions become: Why was this one unrecoverable when in the test flight it was? Um, and the kind of the technical stuff we just talked about. What it's saying is, when the thrust reverser activates and the airflow is disrupted, or I should say, when it's when the thrust is reversed. That air, like I said, comes all comes out all around the circumference of the front of the engine, mm-hmm. which is just below and in front of the wing. And that jet of air that's redirected disrupts the smooth airflow over the wing, since now yeah. it's getting, there's the reverse thrust getting shot up in front of it, which is what disrupted the airflow over that wing, which is what caused the left wing to stall, which is what caused them to roll and pitch to the left. So basically, yeah, I'm just imagining the plane's flying and all of a sudden, like the right part, the right wing of the plane just kind of freezes and then the left keeps going so then it starts dipping that da- yeah dipping down and the left engine's the one that had the thrust reverser deployed okay, just to be well, clear reverse so, that yeah, <laughs> yeah the right the right engine keeps going but then the left thrust reverser deploys which on top of not producing thrust anymore is disrupting the airflow over yeah. the wing causing it to stall so what's what it, what is the proper protocol for that do you i could see like i guess it'd be like just turning off the engine entire turning so that you can start gliding and then nosing down to to recover your like speed so you don't stall well don't forget you still have one working engine and these planes can fly fine on one engine uh but you are you're the first part of what you said is correct 
you would want to shut down that engine that has a thrust reverser deployed, uh-huh. uh, increase power on your other engine if necessary, which probably is, uh, and then continue your flight using just that one engine. Well, not continue your flight, <laughs> declare an emergency, and in uh-huh. this case, probably go back to Bangkok and uh, land would, would have been the correct thing. So uh, that's kind of now where the investigation is going to start digging into. Uh, is that, you know, they're going to want to find out, is that what the crew tried to do? If so, why was it not successful? And if not, why didn't they do it? And they're trained on this exact circumstance. I don't know that they're necessarily trained on this specifically, uh-huh. but, you know, it would be something, there, w- there would be a checklist for it. Uh, but of course, the question is, are you able to get that mm, fast enough? Yeah. What happened? They weren't, like we said earlier, they were not at cruising altitude, but they still were pretty high at 24,000 feet. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get all in, into all of that, Chris. <laughs> so the aerodynamic effects of the thrust reverser plume on the wing, and they're just talking about what I said that redirected air that's disrupting the airflow, as demonstrated by simulation, has called basic certification assumptions into question. Although no specific component malfunction was identified that caused uncommanded thrust reverse actuation on the accident airplane, uh, the investigation resulted in an FAA determination that electrical and hydraulic systems may be affected. So they're trying to figure out why did it deploy? Like I said, it's two different valves uh, that need to open in order for the thrust reverser to deploy. Oh, and mm-hmm. I see, I wrote, I wrote down here uh, what it is. So it's, like I said, it was the isolation valve and the other one was the directional control hydraulic valve. Um, I think I was calling it something different earlier, but yeah, those are the two valves. Okay. So apparently, as previously stated in an airworthiness directive in August, on August 15th of 1991, which required the deactivation of all electrically controlled Boeing 767 thrust reversers until corrective actions were identified to prevent uncommanded in-flight thrust reverser deployment. So they're just saying that's fairly common after an accident. They just issued an airworthiness directive to tell people to deactivate these electrically controlled thrust reversers until they were done with their investigation and can figure out what happened. So according to the Boeing Model 767 thrust reverser system design document, Mm -hmm. the thrust reversers installed on these engines on the Boeing 767 reverse only the fan airflow while the primary uh, flow remains in the normal forward direction. Oh. Like I said, because it's not a clamshell on the back. They're just, uh-huh. it's, like I said, it's that sleeve that redirects. Thrust reversal is achieved by means of left and right hand translating fan sleeves containing blocker doors that block the fan flow, redirecting it through stationary cascade veins. The translating sleeves are hydraulically actuated. Reverse thrust use is restricted to ground operation only, providing additional retarding force on the airplane during landings and refused takeoffs. Normal operation of thrust reverser requires that airplanes must be on the ground to close the air ground switch with both main landing gear out of the tilt position and the forward thrust lever must be at the idle stop position. So it's got to be on the ground and got to uh, uh, have your thrust levers um, adjusted. There's a, there's a lot of... Sp- very specific things that need to happen before you can use, or before you're supposed to use thrust okay. reversers. And that and that's saying, just to clarify, that's what you should do before you deploy them, or is that what? Yes. According to the yeah, the according to the way the plane works, must be done. Like you can't deploy it unless you've these other things are deployed, like a safety almost. So that what the the way that this reads is it's saying that the use is restricted and normal operation requires these things. Okay. It requires that the Clean beyond the ground with landing gear out of the tilt position and the thrust lever must be at the idle stop position. Okay. The physical evidence at the crash site conclusively showed that the thrust reverser actuators from the left engine were found in the fully deployed position. 
Non-volatile computer memory within the electronic engine control indicated an anomaly occurred between channel A and B reverser sleeve position signals. Uh, it was concluded that this anomaly was associated with the thrust reverser deployment of one or both sleeves. The uh, electronic engine control data, I'm going to say EEC. I'm going to say it a okay. few times, electronic <laughs> engine control EEC. The EEC data indicated the thrust reverser deployed in flight with the engine at climb power. Based on EEC design, it was also concluded the engine thrust was commanded to idle, consumer it with the reverser deployment, and that the recorded Mach number increased from 0.78 to 0.99, but they don't actually know the real maximum speed that was reached because... Mm -hmm. They got burned. Well, pressure measurement and recording uncertainties, uh, there was just... I think the system wasn't designed to read speeds that high. It's mm -hmm. like when you max out your speedometer which i hope you've never done in your car no i haven't no <laughs> okay yeah yeah please don't do that uh just the system's not designed for that and there's just some variables that they can't account for so the maximum recorded speed was mach 0.99 which is pretty much almost at the speed of sound uh so they're going Ooh, really fast so maybe that's why the boom maybe don't want to say anything yet <laughs> uh the left eec data indicates that the fuel cutoff switch was probably selected to cut off within 10 seconds of thrust reverser deployment so that's kind of to your point earlier. So they did do a, a fuel cutoff on that left engine within mm -hmm. 10 seconds of the reverser deploying. Uh, examination of the cutoff switch also indicates it was in the cutoff position at impact. So within 10 seconds, they did try to cut off the fuel to the left engine to okay. try to stop it. The EEC readout recovered from non-volatile memory in the left engine indicated the airplane was at an approximate altitude of 24,700 feet and a speed of Mach 0.78, Developing climb power, you know, when the thrust reverser deployed. Uh -huh. uh, the analysis of the major structural damage showed the failures were probably the result of buffeting, maneuvering overload, and excessive speed. So they're saying the plane most likely broke apart because of um, just like the wind hitting it, uh, giving it too much maneuvering inputs, which we've talked about caused another incident, and just the fact that it was going so fast, like faster than it was rated for. Mm-hmm. Parts of the airplane that separated from buffeting overload appear to be pieces of the rudder and the left elevator. Uh, this was followed by the down and aft separation of most of the right horizontal stabilizer from maneuvering overloads as the crew attempted to control the airplane and arrest the high-speed descent. Ugh. No evidence of impacts were observed on the leading edges of the horizontal and vertical stabilizers, indicating that no airframe structural failure occurred prior to horizontal stabilizer separation. Uh, so uh, what they're getting at here is that the airplane started coming apart in the air before uh, it impacted the ground. And and this that's they're trying to recover it and the force of the of, of like going basically against the wind is what's breaking it apart. Right. Remember we talked a long time ago, one of our early, earlier episodes about um, the vertical stabilizer that came off a plane when the, guy, the when the when the when the pilot was like wiggling it. You're right. During like uh, too much force. Yeah, he was like wiggling it during takeoff, and he was also maybe uh, in the tailwind of another plane. Was that it? What right. it was? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, that was exactly it. Uh, so these things happen. You can't give full deflection when you're going over a certain speed because it's just too much force. Yeah, uh, and that's why planes are normally rated for. On, you know, on top, I should say on top of that, you know, most airframes and most planes are rated for to go certain speeds and not any mm -hmm. faster because things can start breaking apart. So it's a combination of these things. Okay. So it's thought that this 
imbalance in the, empan- in, the, uh, in the empanage, like the tail, from the loss of the right stabilizer introduced counterclockwise torsional overload into the tail as evidenced by wrinkles that remained in this visible in the stabilizer center re- section rear spar. So it's almost like parts of the horizontal stabilizer came off. They were still trying to maneuver the plane and it was like twisting the tail to the point where it left wrinkles in the, the airframe. So yeah, it was bending it in wrinkles. Yeah, so it's like the whole the tail was like twisting. If you imagine oh. grabbing like the nose of the plane and the tail of the plane and like Turning twisting it? it in opposite directions. Yeah, and it, it it caused wrinkles in the airframe near the tail. That's how extreme like yeah. the, the forces were that were acting on this plane. They were going real fast then. Yeah, it was it was really bad. So the loss of the tail of an airplane results in a sharp nose over of the airplane which produces excessive negative loading of the wing. Uh, evidence was present of downward wing failure. The sequence is probably followed by the breakup of the fuselage and the complete breakup of the tail Ooh. wing and fuselage occurred in just a matter of seconds. Oh, so uh, the horizontal stabilizer snapped, then the tail broke off. Right. And, and the then the plane split in the middle. Well, and then the wings also broke off. Oh my God. God. It was a complete breakup of just, the tail, wing, and fuselage. Yeah, everything. Everything's just falling. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. It's awful. I don't... Man, I don't... Have we talked about an incident where a plane just broke into pieces all of a sudden in the air uh, like that? Lots of times when that happens, it's explosives. You know, it's a bomb. Yeah. And this investigation actually initially looked into that theory. You know, because uh-huh. like I said, there was a boom... There was a fire. The plane was broken up into a bunch of pieces. I think when investigators first arrived on the scene, that was the working idea, was that this was a bomb to have caused the plane to have blown apart like this. But of course, they can't find evidence of a bomb. When there is a bomb, you know, there's like, there is a source for the energy that causes mm-hmm. like an outward mm-hmm. bending yeah. of the metal and an outward explosion. And of course, you know, um, uh, residue and whatnot. And they couldn't find any of that. So then, you know, it's like, well, this looks like a bomb, but... There's no evidence of a bomb. But yeah, anyway, going back to your question, have we talked about, um, we've talked about planes that have broken up, like have had individual components break off uh-huh. or like yeah. multiple components break off. But I don't know if we've talked about one that has gone to this extent. Yeah, like broken up so conclusively. Right. Uh, or so fully. Yeah. Like, okay. That's a lot of. It's a lot of breaking up. Black Box Down is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I love user manuals whenever I get a new product. I like flipping through it, making sure I understand how everything works and what all the different buttons and doodads do. It's unfortunate that life itself does not come with a user manual. So when it's not working, uh, sometimes, you know, it's normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's career change, new relationship, becoming a parent. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere, 100% online. I think when you have questions, being able to talk to uh, a therapist, you know, someone with an outside perspective uh, is really great. You know, whether it's learning coping skills or self-empowerment or dealing with something you're going through, I think it's, you know, it's awesome to have that that outside voice to, uh, to listen and then give, you know, feedback. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things are not clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime 
could not be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more. Save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash blackboxdown. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash blackboxdown. Today's episode is sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Uh, you know me, I love shopping online whenever possible, uh, getting everything done online, avoid seeing people in person. Uh, and I'm sure you feel like I do whenever you're checking out, you see that promo code field that's empty. Uh, it just infuriates you that you don't have anything to put in there. But thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. So just imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. Uh, when you go to checkout, the Honey button appears. All you have to do is click apply coupons. Just sit back, wait a couple seconds. Honey searches for coupons you can find for that site. And if Honey finds a working coupon, you watch the prices drop. It's really that easy. I've used Honey for quite a while now, and it works on so many different websites, uh, and I've saved on countless things. It's really hard to keep track of how many things I've saved money on or how many times it pops up. It's great because, like I said, it's so many websites now, you have to go to a specific one specific site and use it. It's really, it's just always there and it's always ready to hop in, uh, whether I'm buying sunglasses, whether I'm buying clothes. It's just, man, it's just right there. Super easy to use. Uh, Honey doesn't just work on desktops, it also works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out and by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this show. I never recommend something I don't use, so get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash blackboxdown. That's joinhoney.com slash blackboxdown. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. Maybe for you it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. Uh, there's a great app uh, I use that helps me track all of my expenses because of it. I no longer waste money on subscriptions I don't use. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for you whatever you don't want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. And to cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel. Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. So, like I said, they did these simulator tests. And assuming simulator tests with 25% lift loss uh, are a valid model for the accident conditions, simulated flights piloted by Boeing's chief uh, 767 test pilot indicated a recovery could not be accomplished unless the flight crew of Lauda 767 took full corrective action within four to six seconds of reverser deployment. Oh. So that's a big asterisk, right? It's like, yes, they could have recovered this, but they needed to do it like in five seconds. It, like, like immediately. Immediately. Do everything. Like one, figure out what's wrong, and then two, do everything you need to do in five seconds. So it'd be like, the thrust reversers deployed. Boop, turn it off. Uh, kill the engine, and then what? What else was it like? So yeah, they would have to reduce the engine to idle, hit the fuel cutoff, uh, give it corrective rudder and aileron inputs, uh, as well as pitch uh, inputs. So it's like turn all this off and immediately uh, give full controls uh, or take over full flight controls and in, counteract the forces you're suffering from. in four seconds. Yeah, four to six seconds. Which is, like, that seems challenging if you know it's going to happen. Right. And I think that they were, I think in the simulations they were able to do it, anticipating that it's about to happen. Yeah. But, like, if it happens out of the blue, no, there's no way. Yeah. The use of full authority of the flight controls in this phase of flight is not part of a normal training program. Further, correcting the bank attitude is not 
the only obstacle to recovery in this case uh, as the simulator rapidly accelerates in a steep dive. Mm-hmm. Investigators examined possible pilot reactions after entering the steep dive, and it was found that the load factor reached during dive recovery is critical, as lateral control with the reverser on one engine deployed cannot be maintained at Mach numbers above approximately 0.83 when combined with load factors above 2.5 G. Um, this is because the effectiveness of their flight controls is reduced at high Mach numbers. Oh, and the airplane configuration remains asymmetrical due to the deployed thrust reverses. So the faster they're going, the less effective their controls are, which is why they need to immediately apply those controls mm, so uh, in order to have uh, enough control, enough effectiveness to be able to counteract it. And if they, it sounds like they did do that and it, the force was so great that it just snapped the plane apart. Right. And like it was, redu- their inputs, or I should say the effectiveness of their inputs is reduced and the force is so great that it starts snapping apart. Oh. That, oh, that's terrifying. If you're like, all right, I'm gonna, I know how to fix crack. Yeah, and it, it, then it was, it was too late. Yeah, and I think you know this was one of the reasons that we, like we talked at the beginning, that Nikki Lauda was so invested in this investigation. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, since you know, one, it was his hairline, and two, he was also a pilot. Uh, yeah. You know, he wanted to know what you know what was this. You know, was where where did not only where did the fault lie, but you know, again. Is it like like the like the other investigators? Is this going to happen again? Is this something that you know he needs to be worried about, or that other people need to be worried about? And that's kind of why I mentioned that you know early mm-hmm. on at the very top yeah. of the episode. Seems like a movie almost. It really kind of is. He's like, I want to, I want to get out of the 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 game of you know life and death situations and the you know the high speeds and the bi- you know, and then he's right, he gets sucked right. He's back right in. back into it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Since August 14th of 1990, there were 13 maintenance actions logged on the left engine thrust reverser system of this plane, okay. uh, almost always in response to recurring propulsion interface monitor unit messages of um, EEC, channel B, reverser, uh, RNG fail. Uh, and also EEC, channel AB, REV, CR, CHK fail. And these are, you know, of course, errors related to the thrust reverser system. Okay. The right engine thrust reverser had three maintenance items logged against it, and the majority of the corrective actions involved removing and replacing valves or actuators uh, and adjustments to the system. So, left one has a reoccurring issue, seems like. Uh, it had 13 actions. Uh, I don't know that it was necessarily... Maybe... I'd, I'm hesitant to say. Uh, I guess, I, looking at the report here, it does say these are recurring propulsion interface monitor unit messages. Um, but yeah, so I guess I, I was hesitant to say recurring, but the report mm-hmm. says recurring. So yes. Um, so Lauda had accomplished all the troubleshooting steps from the Boeing fault isolation manual. Lauda, the airline, not Lauda uh-huh. the person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, without correcting the problems of the recurring, uh, uh, PIMU, uh, messages, a propulsion interface monitor unit. Uh, Lauda personnel stated they were in the process of conducting a complete inspection of the left thrust reverser wire bundle for damage before the accident occurred. Uh, And it was found that Lauda was not remiss in continuing to dispatch the airplane and troubleshoot the problem between flights. No specific Lauda maintenance action was identified that caused uncommanded thrust reverser actuation on the accident airplane. So, like the report said, this was an ongoing recurring error and they were troubleshooting it between flights, but they were still continuing to use the plane. But the report does not give them any fault for that, saying that, you know, they yeah. were not at fault for 
troubleshooting it and trying to work on it this way. Like, because like I said, even when the pilots looked at the quick reference handbook when this error came on, uh-huh. they said, oh, it's fine. According to the checklist, we can keep going. Yeah. So basically saying that maintenance and stuff, they were doing okay. They weren't negligent. Right. Uh, and we've talked about this before where maintenance is negligent or it's yeah. like, why didn't they take this out of service? According to the manuals and according to the process, they were doing the right thing. This was not abnormal. It sounds like there's a problem in the process. Yes. So after Boeing's inaction to confirm the cause after numerous simulations, Nikki Lauda pushed for confirmation in a press conference oh. that in-air thrust reversal deployment would be unsurvivable. Because, you know, Boeing's, they're, of course, they're incentivized to to not say it was a, a plane problem. So, you uh-huh. know, Nikki Lauda uses his clout to go in a press conference and say Boeing <laughs> needs to take responsibility for this. Uh, I bet you, like, <laughs> that gets a lot more press. I mean, just because he's the famous. Yes. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> That's cool, I guess, that he, he, he had the ability to do that since he was in the, in the right. Right, and it kind of makes you scared. Like, what if he hadn't done that? We've talked about other incidents where, you know, parents of people involved mm, or yeah. uh, you know, uh, whoever, like someone needs to come forward and, and say, like, we have this proof, Boeing, you need to do something about this. Yeah. Uh, Laura, uh, even went on. he went on to say, this was the first time in eight months it had been made clear that the manufacturer was at fault and not the operator of the airplane or Pratt and Whitney. Wait, first uh, time in eight months after he made them say it, or well, there's like uh, it was eight months after his uh, after the accident that he had this press conference. Okay, like it took eight months for all of this to come to light, and you know, in his mind, he, like he's now, it's very clear to him, it was not his pilot's fault, it was not his airline's fault, it was not the engine manufacturer's fault, but this is Boeing's fault. So that's why he has yeah. a press conference to say, you know, Boeing, you need to take responsibility for this and you need to do something about this. Because the official investigation took about eight months. That's the eight months that he's referring to. Okay, and so he got he now has the report. Right, the report's out and he knows. He can, he's been very involved in this investigation. So that's why you know he's he's trying to get something done about this. Yeah, I mean, it's got his name on it. <laughs> Yes. And I'm sure he cares about all the people, involved, you know, multiple reasons. Absolutely. He was very, uh, from all reports, he was very hands-on with uh, this airline. He, uh, you know, obviously he's a pilot and he, you know, wanted to make sure everything was just yeah. right. He was very, you know, not one of those like CEOs who super detached. It's yeah. his name on the plane. You know, he's very <laughs> uh, invested in making sure everything goes right. The report, like I said, uh, comes out and the probable cause says, The Accident Investigation Committee of the Government of Thailand determines the probable cause of this accident to be uncommanded in-flight deployment of the left engine thrust reverser, which resulted in loss of flight path control. The possibility of crew-commanded thrust reverser deployment was considered, but the probability of an experienced crew intentionally selecting reverse thrust during a high-powered climb phase of flight is extremely remote. There was no evidence of pre-accident failure or malfunction of the airplane structure, power plants, or systems. I guess one of the things that I mentioned earlier that we didn't come back to that I, that that is probably good to talk about right now uh-huh. is remember I mentioned that before the plane was certified that they took a test flight up and they deployed the thrust reverser and they were still able to fly. And they said, see, if it happens, it's fine. The plane can keep going. What happened was when they did the test flight, they were at a much lower altitude. I believe the test flight was at 10,000 feet uh-huh. uh, where the air is thicker. Thick. I was going to say is air, air is yeah. quality. I said not quality, but yeah, denseness. The density. It? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, uh, the air is more dense. Uh, so that's why in the test they were able to recover and continue to fly. I also think that 
when they did the test flight, not only was it lower, but I believe the flight was also slower. It wasn't going as fast. Mm. Um, so that's why in the test flight, they were able to recover and fly with the, the thrust reverser deployed. But in the real world, when they were at a higher altitude and going faster, it's a totally different experience. The Accident Investigation Committee of the Government of Thailand determined the probable cause of this accident to be uncommanded in-flight deployment of the left engine thrust reverser, which resulted in loss of flight path control. The specific cause of thrust reverser deployment has not been positively identified. The Austrian Federal Ministry of Public Economy and Transport agreed that this report is a fair record of the investigation, but regrets that the report was unable to form any conclusion as to the reason for the uncommanded thrust reverser deployment, which was the fundamental cause of the accident. So I, that last part sounds a little scary, but I'm going to give a little bit of uh, okay. background into that. So like I said, there were two valves that need to open in order for the hydraulic fluid to get into the thrust reverser, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the reverser isolation valve, which was the one that they were getting errors about, and then the directional control hydraulic valve. So hydraulic fluid is cut off from the system. The isolation valve is was what's isolating it. So the mm-hmm. isolation valve opens, lets hydraulic fluid get in a little bit, and then when the uh, thrust reverser is supposed to be activated, the directional control hydraulic valve uh, gets commanded to open. It opens, and then hydraulic fluid goes into the system. So and I don't know a ton about how hydraulic fluid works. Is it just like a high-pressure fluid that pushes like the, 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 the ter- mechanisms to turn and bend, you know, and... It's so it operate. It does operate based on pressure. Uh, as controls are manipulated, the system becomes more pressurized or less pressurized, and that mm-hmm. pressure acts on the hydraulic system, which can cause a whole, anything powered by the hydraulic system to activate. Whether it's thrust reversers, uh, flaps, a, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of the flight controls in large airplanes, uh, it's all just pressure. A pressurized system. Um, uh, and what they speculate here is that there was already a pre-existing problem with the reverser isolation valve. And most likely, they can't say definitively, uh, which is why they say they can't say definitively what the fundamental cause of the accident was. The, the going theory is that there was an electrical short in the electrical system, which caused the directional control valve to then open as well, oh. which then allowed hydraulic fluid into the system. You know, they couldn't really examine the wire bundles too much mm-hmm. because of the post-crash fire, but they say that is most likely what happened. There was a fault in one valve, then an electrical short caused the other one to open. The hydraulic fluid went into the system, pressurized it, and caused the thrust reverser to deploy. They don't say that definitively in uh-huh. the report. That is the going theory, though, that is most widely accepted. So, Which is why, remember, I said they were inspecting wire bundles. Uh, maintenance was looking at the wire bundles before this flight, and it was part of their ongoing maintenance. They're looking at wire bundles because... In relation to this system, to see if that was was, was causing these errors that were mm. uh, recurring. And so... I guess it's like there's two, like a safety is in two things have to happen for this to deploy. And one was malfunctioning kind of regularly. And the other one just had that electrical short, electrical short mm-hmm. at the right or worst time. Yep. And again, they don't say that definitively in the report, but that is pretty much the going accepted theory. It mm. seems very likely and very plausible, but they don't say things in these reports yeah. unless it's 100% <laughs> certain. Yeah, they they want to be absolutely sure of things that they they, say. Was there any other theory that they're like, this could have been it, but we don't think it's the case? Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) I think (laughs) this is is pretty much it. Okay. Um, 
so uh, of course there were findings here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the crew members were trained, qualified, and uh, certificated for their respective duties according to laws and regulations of the Republic of Austria. It's an Austrian airline. The airplane was certificated, equipped, and maintained and operated according to regulations and approved procedures of the Republic of Austria. Weather in the area was fair. No reported hazardous weather. Uh, although lightning may have been present, it's possible the horizon was not distinguishable. It was nighttime. So, and, you know, they were not over a city. So sometimes it's hard to see the horizon at night. The physical evidence at the crash sites showed the left engine thrust reverser was in the deployed position. Examination of non-volatile computer memory and the left EEC indicated uh, the engine was at climb power when the reverser deployed. Engine thrust was reduced to idle with the thrust reverser deployment and the recorded Mach number increased from 0.78 to 0.99 after the deployment. Actual maximum speed reach is unknown due to pressure measurement and recording uncertainties. The scatter of wreckage indicated the airplane experienced in-flight breakup at a steep descent angle and low altitude. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this actually fairly recently, that you know, when investigators first arrive at a crash site, they try to locate the four corners of the plane to determine whether or not it hit the ground intact or not. They want to find oh, the nose, mm. the tail, and the two wingtips. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, it, they were not all together. They were spread out, which indicated it broke yeah. up before it hit the ground. God. That's so terrifying, just the plane falling. Mm-hmm. There was no indication on the available wreckage of an in-flight fire prior to the breakup of the airplane. Oh, yeah, I forgot to uh, expand on that. Most likely, the, the fire was once the plane broke apart and the fuel came out into the air, it may have hit like a hot, the hot engines, and then that's what caused people to see the flames as the uh, plane was coming down. Examination of the available wreckage revealed no evidence of damage from a hostile act either from within the airplane or from the exterior. Uh, they also looked into the possibility, on top of a bomb, they also looked into the possibility that a missile was fired and hit the plane. Oh, just throwing it out, yeah. Well, because since the plane seemingly exploded and broke apart mm. so completely, it's like, well, you know, we mentioned this earlier, you and I, when we were talking, it's like, you know, was there an <laughs> explosion? Why did this plane break apart like this? Um, Simulations of a 25% lift loss resulting from an in-flight deployment of the left engine thrust reverser indicated recovery from the event was uncontrollable for an unexpected flight crew. That's what we talked about. They had such little time. If they weren't expecting this to happen, there's no way you could have done, you could have recovered in time. Yeah. Th- I mean, this is, it's, that's what's so scary about this. Yeah. From an airplane flight performance standpoint, questions remain unanswered regarding thrust reverser plume behavior at high Mach numbers and in-flight reverse induced airframe buffeting at high Mach numbers and effects of inlet spillage caused by a reversed engine at high Mach numbers. It's just a scary thing to deploy the thrust reverser when you're going fast. Yeah. And they can't answer all of the questions about what happened because it's something you really can't test. You know, if you do this in in real life, then the plane crash, the same thing, right. The same thing could happen to you. And I think that it might be difficult to do in simulators because we don't really have the data on what would happen. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. It's just like a super scary thing to happen. Thrust reverser system certification by the FAA required that the airplane be capable of continued safe flight and landing under any possible position of the thrust reverser. However, wind tunnel tests and data used in the simulation of this accident demonstrated that aerodynamic effects of reverser plume in flight uh, during engine run down to idle resulted in 25% lift loss across the wing. Simulation of the event disclosed that the airplane was not capable of controlled flight unless full wheel and full rudder were applied within four to six seconds after the thrust reversal was deployed. So we talked about mm-hmm. they lost lift in the wing or, and then they needed to immediately deflect the control wheel and apply full rudder within four to six seconds. Yeah, that's just, 
just just the amount of time it takes to register there's a problem and wait what is the problem it's mm-hmm. like that seems like that was enough time to, that was all then, they had yeah yeah it's too late at that point yeah investigation of the accident disclosed that certain hot short conditions involving the electrical system occurring during an auto restow command could potentially uh, cause the system to momentarily move into the deploy position However, no specific wire or component malfunction was physically identified that caused an uncommanded thrust reverser deployment on the accident airplane. So there, this is the speculation part that a short could cause this, but they couldn't find the specific wiring where a short happened. Mm. I should say uh, this was difficult for them to find any wiring, because one, because of the fire, uh, but two, also after the crash, there was some looting of the site before investigators oh. arrived and some components were taken. Uh, in fact, I believe the reverser isolation valve was missing for a while and they couldn't find it. They had to offer a reward to locals and eventually someone turned it in. Yeah. I, th- I was thinking about that one that happened. What was it in, um, in Vietnam? Vietnam or there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That made me think of that where they're like, we got to pay him for it because yeah, uh, it was a similar thing. They speculated the reverser, uh, isolation valve. Uh, they said it was like a gold color. It might have been brass or something. I don't, I don't know specifically what metal it was, but they said it had a gold color, so people might have thought it was valuable. Mm. So that so it was missing. Eventually, they put up a uh, reward for it. Eventually, someone turned it in. But after you know they received it and started looking at it, they realized that it had soil inside of it, which indicated that someone had already opened it and kind of taken it apart. Oh. So even though they received it back, they couldn't trust anything from looking at it because someone had already obviously messed with it. Was it a um one of the little informer videos where we talked to, where you talked about uh the radio was it radioactive yeah parts of yeah i'm just like that's what i'm thinking about when people are pillaging planes the fact that there's a radioactive part that at times not now right no no they don't use that anymore in the past that they could have been picking up and then like oh i wonder how much this is worth Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I believe, so you're talking about um, counterweights that were used early on in the mm-hmm. 747. They were made out of uranium. Uh, I believe they were stamped uh, as being uranium and radioactive. <laughs> uh, but again, it, I don't know. They, it might have only been stamped in English, right? Like if it yeah. crashes in another country, it might, someone might not know. I don't know if it had like a symbol on it or yeah. anything else. And I guess that's a very rare, like that's like, yeah, that's very a very specific, but I'm just still thinking about it. Like when you're taking apart, like, oh, what's this? What's I'm taking this and you. Then, well, Chris, this entire podcast is about rare, weird things happening. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, just a couple more findings here. Testing identified hypothetical hydraulic system failures that could cause a thrust reverser to deploy. However, no specific component malfunction was identified that caused an uncommanded thrust reverser deployment on the accident airplane. No specific louder air maintenance action was identified that caused uncommanded thrust reverser deployment on the accident airplane. The design changes recommended by Boeing and thereafter mandated by U.S. Federal Aviation Administration Airworthiness Directive 91-2209 for the Boeing 767 thrust reverser system should effectively prevent in-flight deployment even after multiple failures. So that's uh, even though this this is in the finding, this is the the kind of thing you want to hear. There were design changes made and mandated in order to prevent in-flight deployment even if there are multiple failures in the thrust reverser system. Um, And I guess those were adequate design changes? Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about them right now. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm going to do my best to try to explain them. I'm not, one, I'm not an airline pilot. Two, uh, I'm not an airplane mechanic. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to uh, to try to walk through uh, the changes that were made. And 
The NTSB issued four urgent action safety recommendations to the FAA on July 3rd, 1991, uh, regarding this accident. Uh, and then uh, they issued a letter, uh, I should say the FAA issued a letter on uh, September 11th, 1991, describing FAA actions in response to the uh, accident. An international industry and government task force uh, reviewed the design, philosophy, and certification. As a direct result of testing and engineering reevaluation accomplished after this accident, Boeing proposed thrust reverser design system changes uh, intended to preclude the reoccurrence of this accident. And the changes were mandated by the FAA Airworthiness Directive, like I mentioned. In-service Boeing 767s were modified uh, by incorporation of a Boeing service bulletin by teams of Boeing mechanics. And the fleet modification was complete uh, in February of 1992. Uh, design reviews and appropriate changes are uh, were also carried out for other transport airplanes. So... Specifically, the Boeing 767 design changes were based on the separation of reverser, deploy, and stow functions, uh, and they did six things. They replaced the solenoid-operated hydraulic isolation valve uh -huh. with a motor-operated uh, hydraulic uh, isolation valve. They added a dedicated stow valve, added new electrical wiring from the electronics bay and the flight deck to the engine strut, and critical wire isolation and protective shielding is now required. So that kind of, yeah, that, that specific one leans into the short idea. The Again. other ones are like, yeah, the other ones are like uh, dealing with the valves, adding a, a, a valve, replacing the way that the valves mm -hmm. work, but then also adding new wiring and isolating it and shielding it so that Which, there is yeah. no short. Further validates the, the, the short theory. Yeah. Yeah. Of the short. Yeah. Uh, adding a new reverser test, reverser system maintenance indication panel in the cockpit. Uh, replacing existing reverser stow proximity targets with improved permeability material to reduce uh, nuisance indications. Um, so that's just like to kind of refine the system so that error there are no false negative errors where mm -hmm. you get uh, warnings that don't mean anything. How they had been having or had been going on right. and off and they're like, oh, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Right. So that when you do get an error, you pay a lot more attention to yeah. it instead of, oh, it's probably nothing. No girl, uh, guy, whoever it is, cried wolf. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, yeah, they're like, that, that's, they, they were following instructions, but the instructions right. like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry right. about it. Uh, and the last one was adding a thrust reverser deploy pressure switch. Uh, so this was really a scary incident, but, a lot of really good things. A lot of things were learned and a lot of really good design changes were incorporated uh, in thrust reversers to prevent this kind of thing from happening again. Um, it's just, a, this is another one. Like so many incidents that we talk about where it's like, oh, all these little things had to fail mm -hmm. and line up just right in order for this to happen and uh, create this, this terrible tragedy. Yeah. And, and so, in the end, it was like, Nikki Lada, was he like, I guess, recognized and validated in his efforts to, you know, seek out the, the truth about this? I don't or, think he was ever necessarily looking for recognition or, you know, I think he was, he just wanted to make sure that, uh, one, that the airline was clear to fault and yeah. two, that this wasn't going to happen uh, on any other planes like it. And so from that perspective, I would say, you know, he was validated. It wasn't, you know, they definitely said it was not the airline's fault, not the, not the mechanic's fault. It was definitely on Boeing. And, you know, changes were made in order to keep this from happening ever again. Okay, good. Yeah, because I like him. <laughs> Nikki. Yeah, really, really uh, interesting. I looked up pictures of him. He looks, yeah. like a, he looks like a badass. 
Can I say oh, that? Yeah, he absolutely was. I mean, he <laughs> uh, won um, multiple F1 titles, you know, then when he retired, became a pilot, flew airliners, you know, started an airline, like absolutely amazing uh, life that he had and amazing yeah. things that he did. And he lived to 70. Yes, even after being in that terrible crash and fire in the yeah. 1970s. I think the crazy thing is that he went back to racing. All, you know, He only missed two races, went back and still almost won the title, lost I only know. by one point that year. Uh, he admitted that, you know, he missed, after the fire, he missed those two races. He admitted that when he did go back to race, uh, uh, his first race back, that he was terrified. He said he was absolutely petrified. I bet. Yeah, but he still he still did it. He went back out there, and even after the fire, he still won uh, a couple of championships. After that, uh, he did not let it stop him at all. He won the championships in. Uh, so his his accident, the fire was in 1976. He won championships in 1975, 1977, uh, 1984. Man. He lost the 1976 one by one point. He almost won that one too. Oh. You know, uh, he, super super interesting. I think you could do two movies on him. One of him race as a race car driver. The other one. Of him starting a, uh, this, this airline. company, an airline, and like trying to figure out what happened to this plane crash. Yeah, uh, there, 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 there is already one uh, for the uh, for for the film for the uh, racing side. Remember, I said there's a movie Rush oh. Uh, oh. that came out in 2013 that talks about specifically about the 1976 uh, uh, championship uh, for F1. Uh, Chris Hemsworth's in it. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it now. Is Chris Chris Hemsworth and uh, who else is that? Uh, uh, Daniel I, I don't know. Br- Daniel Brühl. Yeah. Anyway, so if like you cool. want to know about the 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 non airplane side, the F one side of uh, Nikki Lauda's life, you can go uh, uh, watch Rush. It came out in yeah. 2013. Well, I have one question. One yeah. last. His airline did is it retired and. What ended up happening? Lauda Air eventually uh, got acquired by Austria Airline. Uh huh. You know, absorbed. I don't think I don't think they continue to have any flights with the Lauda Air uh, uh, painting, uh-huh. or I should say, paint scheme. Uh, it's just I believe it entirely ceased operations. Uh, probably around 2013, I think. Okay. Well, that's so, yeah, cool. It, it's all part of Austrian Airlines now. I, I like that he. You know, it got acquired and kind of absorbed rather than like went bankrupt and actually i just double checked chris apparently there are still lauda liveries uh in use today so there are still oh. planes that are flown uh with the the lauda paint scheme on them but they are part of austrian airlines oh i it'd be cool if like no, sorry, like you can, i know he's passed away but he's like i'm flying the plane to, you know like <laughs> i think even like i said earlier even once he uh retired he recorded the like the in-flight announcements and stuff oh, so you that's could still, cool I don't, I don't know i doubt they still use him to this day but you know he was still wanted his personality his presence known uh, uh on that airline we should post a picture of him just because he's, he's he's such a badass <laughs> oh yeah absolutely on social and yeah oh wait I'm, I'm looking at him sorry i'm looking up there's like him walking around the the wreckage and stuff like investigating mm-hmm. it yeah, like I said, he was there. He flew out immediately and wanted to be involved in this investigation and find out what happened. And yeah. normally you hear that and it's like, oh, someone's just getting in the way or they're, you know, doing this for some other reason. I think he like genuinely helped push this forward uh-huh. and push for Boeing's accountability and, you know, helped make changes to these systems that benefited every person who flies on a plane in the world. Yeah, that's that's crazy. He's 
And he's always wearing that red hat, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, I think he may have suffered some pretty severe burns. Mm. Uh, you know, when he was in that F1 crash, and I think he wears the hat as a result of that. Yeah. What a cool dude. Yeah, absolutely. Tragic, tragic what a legend. Uh, circumstance, but cool yeah. dude. Yeah, I was very excited to talk about this one specifically because <laughs> of Nikki Lauda. I'm not yeah. a like a, a race fan or anything. Yeah, I'm not I, either. Uh, but yeah, like, but I think it, like all of that is super interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right, but that's it for this episode. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another one. Yeah, and uh, uh, get some Christmas uh, presents, merch, black box oh, yeah. merch. It's in our link tree on social media, or you can go to store.roosterteeth.com and check out all of our merch there. Yeah, it's a lot of really good stuff. It's all very comfy and mugs and and stickers and it's all cool stuff yeah all right bye bye